0: Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of their people, their people will take care of customers, lower costs, and drive customer loyalty and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy, and culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado, where we teach extraordinary leaders how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. We're back today to discuss heart-led leadership with Amy Young, Vice President and General Manager of Devita Clinical Research, on the Heart of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program. So Amy, who were your mentors in leadership?
1: Yeah, you know, I couldn't name just one, Rick. I've never sort of had a traditional, um, formal or official mentorship kind of relationship, but I've definitely taken a lot of lessons from, both former bosses, but also peers and people that work on my team. I think I've got a lot to learn from lots of different people.
0: So what did you learn?
1: Well, definitely learned what not to do from some bosses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, one of my, that's one of my favorite exercises in the program is the what not to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, that, those are important lessons as well. <laughs> um and i think we've all got those stories right they they stand out as the, the your bad boss stories um bad experience stories and you know the things that i think helped me the most that i've learned from other people were one to provide all the the content that you can what's the what's the surrounding information when you're asking somebody to do something
0: the context
1: yeah what what is going on it's it's so often when you're giving somebody else something to do that they don't really know as much as you right um yeah. and so help, helping them succeed giving them all the information
0: it's on my list of books to write is a book on context because i think it's one of the things that's so often missing in organizations is that they just you know, most people just don't understand what it is we're trying to do exactly. Yeah. You know, I just got off the phone before this interview with uh, somebody who said to me, you know, our revenues are down 60% mm. and no one seems to care. <laughs> 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 and it's just, it's missing context. They don't understand why they should care. Yeah. or or what they can do about it. Right. So, you know, it's sort of to me sometimes like, you know, when you say, you know, global warming, you know, and people go, you know, I I'd, I'd love to be concerned. I just don't know what to do. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: that context is so critical. So, what else did you learn from them?
1: Um, letting people make their own mistakes. Right. That's got. That's hard. That's
0: really hard as a hard. leader. So how do you do that? We need to talk about this because most people can't do it as a leader.
1: Yeah, yeah. The way that I try to do, I, I do try to control it. Still, I, I will admit that <laughs> I feel like it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a controlled experiment.
1: Well, I mean, you don't. You want people to only sustain injuries that are not life-threatening, right? Yes. And so that's how I try to control it, is to to, to set up spaces where... That was a
0: metaphor, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> 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 Although in my world, I guess they actually could sustain um, those kinds of injuries. But it's about having those conversations with them as well, to say, hey, I think you're a novice at this, and here's how I think I can help you, um, and then trying to step away methodically, and also sharing with them that you're stepping away. Um, and you give that to them incrementally. To me, that's what makes it easier to let them have the risk.
0: Yeah. So what, one of the questions I used to ask all the time was uh, I would I would say to my team, you know, they'd come to me with a problem, and I'd say, if I weren't here, what would you do? And they'd say, I would, you know, X. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, I'd say, great, go do that. And then... You know, they'd crash and (laughs) they'd come back and they go, they go, that didn't work. And I'd say, oh, okay. So, what are you going to do next? And they'd say, well, do you think it's going to work? I said, I don't know. That's not, you know, it's not how you learn. You learn from experimenting. So, after a while, they got kind of comfortable with that. They'd come to me and they'd go, okay, I'm going to go do this. Am I going to crash? And I'd say, I don't know. Let's go, (laughs) you know, go have a learning. Right. <laughs> and, see, and see what happens. So, you know, giving them permission to fail and it being OK. And for me, yeah. I mean, I actually in, enjoyed it. And I don't mean like in a fruit kind of a sense, but to to share with them, you know. Yeah. You know, that happened to me the first time I tried it, too. You know, what did what we learn?
1: <laughs> right.
0: Right. So, you know, to me, that's it's fun. And sometimes sometimes they did things that I thought would never work that worked really well. Right, And then I would go, what'd you do? And they said, I just did this. I'm like, no, no, I've done that. And that didn't work for me. So what'd you do differently? (laughs) Oh, well, I just, you know, said this or did this or, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's kind of a breakthrough. So yeah, very cool.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So how were you able to absorb and apply what you learned so fast to rise in your career, because I know I'm going to tell I'm going to tell a little story out of school here, okay. <laughs> publicly <laughs> on the airwaves. I am known as a branding expert, and when I started working with Amy, she wanted me to help her on a branding project. And when she came to the table, her level of skill in branding was you know, probably equal to mine, maybe superior. It was pretty amazing. And that's kind of not what she does. You know, she's a business leader and she's a scientist, but, you know, you were definitely in a world-class league on the branding front in terms of not only the terminology, but also the structure and its applicability. So how do you take something that's completely out of your realm of learning like that or your realm of expertise and learn it and apply it as quickly as you did?
1: I sort of do kind of three things when I'm approaching something that's new to me. I do like to do just some on my own research, Um, whether that's a combination of reading books, watching TED Talks, you know, other kinds of content on the internet, I definitely start there because for me, when I go and and ask people in my life that know a lot more about this topic than I do, I don't wanna waste their time. I wanna come having at least done some of my homework and saying like, hey, here's what I thought about this and you know, am I thinking about that right? And what I try to do is use the experts in my world to take what I've learned and make sure that I'm actually applying it in the real world in the right ways, right? And so I, I, I leverage my experts and people around me to hone my thinking and to bounce those skills off of them. And so rather than going to experts in my world and saying, what should I do, my approach is more of how should I think about it and right. what are my challenges Right, so that I'm, I'm learning to think like they think in the process rather than just getting an answer.
0: That's that's a different approach, and it's it was definitely my experience. I mean, you know, I jumped in there thinking we were going to do level one, and we were at level three real fast. And and so, you know, I think you you got more out of our interaction because you were really prepared, and we were able to take it to a much higher level much faster. Yeah. You also mentioned the TED talks, and I think. You know, it's so interesting that, you know, we've got the TED Talks are, you know, in 17 minutes, you're going to get really the best thinking in that arena. It's a a really fabulous resource to the world, I think.
1: Yeah, an incredible free resource.
0: Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So we talked about this a little bit in your previous interview, but did you ever feel that being a woman was a hindrance in the business world?
1: Um, Well, I've experienced it as a hindrance from time to time, for sure. Um, I mean, sometimes very overtly, right? In the, um, I mean, I've been told to man up before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you say, did you say, do you want to go ride motorcycles? (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see, we'll see who can man up faster.
1: (laughs) <laughs> um, I've definitely experienced times where, um, and if my old boss were here, he would, uh, laugh at this, um, cause he and I had this little code, um, where I would come to him and I'd say, Hey, they, they need the guy to say what I just said. Here's what I say. Can you go tell him that? And, and it was true. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and he'd walk in the room and say the same thing that I just said. And all of a sudden it was, it was fine. Um, so I definitely have experienced that in my career.
0: Well, that's very sad.
1: The other thing I think that's really interesting about being a woman and being a leader is that I think women women are judged for their style a lot more than men are. Um, you can't have too much grit or you're pushy or bossy or intimidating or fill in the blank, Right. Um, You can't be too nice because then you're just the the crying, bleeding heart woman. Um, And I, there was a time when I felt like that was kind of unfair. Um, And now I kind of look at it as, well, that's kind of a neat gift in a way, right? Because every leader needs feedback on their style and every leader needs to be able to balance grit and grace Um, And heart and hands and head and the only way that you do that is through getting feedback on how to balance that and so I think in a way women have more of an attuned ability to do that just because we experience that more frequently than men do in the workplace
0: it's a fascinating perspective so tell us about the unique culture and leadership at Devita because it is quite unique.
1: <laughs> it is I've learned a lot being at Devita. I think what's I think what's unique at Devita is the real focus and investment on our teammates as human beings and not only the permission but the invitation. To bring all of the parts and aspects of you to work um, at Devita, it's called it's sort of head, heart, and hands. I think mean, a lot of places you bring only your head and your hands to work, and why should that be? And so it's it's a place where you can be your authentic self, and and bring all of yourself to work.
0: And how, how does that manifest? That's you know nice words. Yeah. <clears throat> how, how do you how, how does that show up in a real
1: company? You know, um, it shows up in a few different ways. It shows up in things like, we call them homeroom meetings, and they're meetings only to check in. There's no sort of business agenda or purpose or task or thing to be measured or delivered right, there, there a space to check in, how are things going today, how are you feeling, did somebody have a bad weekend, right, hey, can I help you out today? There are those kinds of meetings. We do investment in our leaders, and when when they go away to courses, and there's a combination of experiential courses and more sort of classroom courses, they're focused on self-introspection and self-development um, and, and as a leader, first knowing thyself and, and developing thyself so that you can help your other teammates develop. And then finally, I think it's, it's a real attitude of support and values that, that shows up on a pretty regular basis. So people are most praised in our organization for being an example of our core values That's one of the highest praises that you can get in an organization. It's not that we don't reward metrics and performance, because we do, but that's through the sort of typical pathways, performance reviews, and all those things happen. But there's special nights, there's special ceremonies, and there's special ways that we honor and acknowledge when People have gone above and beyond to, say, live out one of our core values of integrity or accountability or team or fun. And I think that's what makes it special.
0: So give me an example.
1: We have something called a core value pin, and any teammate can nominate another teammate for um, doing something that exemplifies that core value. And then in a homeroom meeting, we would hand out that core value pin and read in front of the group what somebody else wrote about them. That's so it's a great cool. way to honor that teammate. Um, and it's a great way to reinforce the positive behaviors that you want and to catch somebody doing something good.
0: So let's talk about the fun one, because that's one of the things that uh, I noticed immediately when I worked with your with your group is... Yeah. You, you, this is not just average fun you guys are kind of like fun <laughs> on steroids
1: we're serious uh, about our fun
0: <laughs> well i I attended your your costume party and I have never seen costumes anywhere as clever and well executed as yours were we were <laughs> we were on a ship and and uh, Popeye and olive showed up and I I had a flashback (laughs) to my childhood.
1: (laughs) They were great. So was the light-up jellyfish.
0: The light-up jellyfish (laughs) made my day. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really over the top. So how, how do you inspire that level of fun and engagement with your team?
1: You know, I think it actually goes all the way back to the relationships that the managers and the leadership have with their teams and about, whether they feel like it's a safe place and an, and a place where they can authentically be themselves. And it takes time to build that. And there's definitely lots of people who sort of wonder about that and stick their toe in. And, you know, is it really safe for me to come dressed up as Popeye and olive oil to a team event um, <laughs> and to sing karaoke with, with, with my team and not be embarrassed about it. And so it's, It's building trust between teammates. It's giving them the permission to do it and actually making it just as important as all of the other things that you do, right? It may sound weird, but we put just as much rigor around what are we going to do for our fun event? How are we going to make it interesting? What have we done in the past? What's our teammate feedback? We we give surveys, we get feedback about our fun events. Um, So we take it, seriously, because if you're going to engage all aspects of a human being, having some fun is part of that.
0: So you treat it like you treat any other project with the same level of rigor. Yeah. Very interesting. So you're both a graduate and faculty member for the Heart of Leaders. What what does heart-led leadership mean to you?
1: Um, heart-led leadership to me means... Uh, the word integrity comes up for me, Rick, and um, when you look up the basic forms of, of integrity, where did that word come from in its historical context? It comes from the word integer, which means whole, um, right? So it has a math root. But when I look at that, wholeness means being all the parts of our humanity, connecting and caring for people, being vulnerable, sharing who you are, expressing what's really going on, giving feedback in a way that is truly caring and helpful to teammates, not just helpful for yourself. It also means being rigorous and metric-minded and watching performance. To me, being heart-led doesn't mean that it's only about sort of soft stuff to me it's about wholeness and and being your whole self at work
0: well that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm glad to hear it has its roots in mathematics because without amy we would not have known that <laughs> no, no one else would have brought that up <laughs>
1: I I owe that to my grandfather, who uh, was a Latin and English teacher, and Mm. loved the entomologic dictionary, which is the source that you go to to find the root of any word.
0: Yeah, it's very, very cool. So why do you think this kind of leadership is so powerful?
1: Um, I think it's powerful because, you know, all things being equal, don't you want to work with people that you would consider your friends versus people that you wouldn't? right? I mean, I know I would.
0: Yeah, well, it's, all about um, the, it's always all about the people. It's all about the team.
1: Isn't it? And, you know, me personally, right, I want to give more. I'm more committed. I'll go above and beyond for somebody that I know is really invested in what we're doing together, but also in me. Right. And and who treats me as a a whole person and is interested in my growth and my opportunities. And so I find that that's true for other people as well. Right. And identify what they're interested in. And the more that you can do that, um, the more that you, first of all, grow your team. Right. Because you're investing in their own self-reflection and growth. And then they just become more incredible as time passes. Right. And then secondly, it just drives this commitment to each other and creates an incredibly high performing team.
0: Yep. So why don't you think more companies embrace
1: it? Um, I think it's still scary to lots of people. I think letting your heart in is scary it can mean that you get hurt it can mean that you know as a leader when you have to do really hard things and you actually care about and know your team truly truly know who they are it makes it harder to do the hard stuff you sometimes have to do as a leader right whether it be reorganize or terminate a poor performer or any of the number of things that you have to do that impact people, sometimes negatively, sometimes positively, right? And so it does make that harder when you do that. I think there's also still a belief that there's sort of a weakness tied to it.
0: A softness.
1: Yes, a softness.
0: Yeah, it's the the complaint we get most often, but it's sort of fascinating because of the extraordinary results that all these heart led companies are getting right that you know, everybody says what you know what they're all about is you know results and the bottom line and profitability and all that but you know it, it, we we get more of that in the heart led companies but right. somehow you know it, it doesn't count somehow it gets discounted because you know we're being soft or something but what we're really <laughs> being is effective yes And, you know, it's interesting, you you mentioned the head, heart, hands piece earlier, and, you know, Henry Ford is famously quoted for saying, why is it every time I hire a pair of hands, it comes with a head? (laughs) Um, You know, and clearly we know that's not correct anymore, we need them to bring their head, but now I think it's time to bring the third element, which is their heart, Um, and and bring the whole person, and and we have to lead the whole person, and we have to serve the whole person as a leader. And when we do that, then the whole person gives their all, right? Which is what we've always wanted is, you know, why aren't they more committed? Why aren't they more engaged? Why aren't they, you know, giving us everything they could give? And it's because, you know, we, we have to invite that. We have to invite all the parts of them to show up and, you know that means we have to be vulnerable too
1: yeah and and that's the part that that some folks just don't want to do right it's it's hard so
0: tell our listeners about the enneagram and how it can be used to build stronger teams
1: mm. um in 10 the seconds, enneagram, <laughs> in 10 seconds. <laughs> no you have more time <laughs> um the enneagram is an archetypal model of different types of ways you can be in the world. The model falls into nine main types with three subtypes under each of them. And it's actually been around for centuries and has been touched by mathematicians, philosophers, spiritual guiders, modern psychology. And I think what's neat about it unlike sort of a Myers-Briggs or a, or a DISC or some of those other tools is it really strikes at what's your core fear and what's your core motivation and helps you unearth the unconscious patterns in your world and helps you just see those and potentially make different choices. So another way of looking at it is it tells you what your operating system is, right? We spend a lot of time using the programs, but we sometimes forget that there's an operating system underneath that influences how all those programs work.
0: Sort of a user's manual for the mind.
1: Right, right. Um, And it really helps you understand sometimes your triggers, why you do the things that you do, why you communicate the way that you do, and and especially helps you see some of your behaviors a little bit more clearly than you might see them just by yourself.
0: Well, I know that our folks really, really enjoyed it, and you did you just did you know a few hours with us. I'm sure you could do days with us and and go much deeper, but really fascinating stuff. What closing thought would you like to leave for our podcast explorers?
1: Um, you know, I would encourage people to just experiment. Go try something that feels weird or awkward to you. If it doesn't feel weird or different, then you're not doing something new, right? And you're not doing something, um, a skill or a talent or something else that you haven't explored already, right? And that is the way that you make sure that you're actually improving yourself and growing and and challenging is getting out of that comfort zone. So when you get that uncomfortable feeling, I would say embrace it.
0: And so you're, you're talking in general, but then, you know, I would say do the same thing in a leadership role. Do something as a leader that you've never tried before. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Right? Whether that's an aspect of the business that you've never experienced, um, whether it's it's leading a project that you've never done before, maybe it's an IT project and you don't know anything about IT, go volunteer for that project. Go take a class that a coach, an executive coach would take, right? It just expand your horizons.
0: Yep. Be a learning organization. And to be a learning organization, you got to have learning leaders. And that starts with you. So everything, right. everything starts with you, you know, knowing yourself, learning yourself, expanding yourself. So Awesome closing thought. Amy, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you so much for everything you've done for for the Heart of Leaders.
1: My pleasure, Rick. Thank you.
0: This is Rick Barrera, and I'd like to invite you to join our Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado. There are four sessions per year, one per quarter, and each session is three days long. Our sessions are part classroom and part experiential meaning we give you an opportunity to practice what you're learning in an active environment. You'll be interacting with fellow explorers in an immersive experience designed to get you moving and apply what you've learned. It's educational, it's engaging, and it's fun. I guarantee you'll find the faculty and your fellow explorers are among the coolest and nicest people you'll ever meet. You'll make lifelong friends and build a world-class network to help you with whatever's next for you. You can learn more at heartofleaderspodcast.com. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com, where we blog, post articles, and book reviews and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.